Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of uh, our offerings on uh, our website throughout the week. My name is Ron Crawford, and I am coming to you on this Good Friday from the Father's Church in Dallas. And I am so thankful to be in a house of prayer. Many of our congregation have already come here today to partake of Holy Communion and to seek the Lord and giving him thanks for his sacrifice and his victory. This, um, this is also a, a great opportunities for us for opportunity for us to give thanks for our Saints Network family who are serving our Father throughout the world. What a blessing that God has given us such a fellowship, such a family of those devoted to him. And I I am extremely grateful to the Lord not only for our our network family, but for what our mission is as saints and for what we are called to do in him. I was reading this morning the account of Jesus uh, after his resurrection when he was speaking to Peter and the three times that he asked Peter if he, if he loved him. Uh, we've studied about this quite a bit over the years. We haven't talked about it recently, but the three times Jesus said, do you love me? The first two, agape, the, the third, phileo. And um, to, to those uh, inquiries, Jesus uh, would then say, feed my sheep. And we've studied about the progression of the babies to the ones that can walk and eat and then on their own, and then to those that need to be um, mature, mature sheep that understand the ways of what it means to be a sheep, <laughs> whatever that is. And I thought, we as saints have been given that assignment. Did you think about that? This is the thing, Jesus speaking to the rock, his one that would be converted and then walk with his brethren. Remember that story about flesh and blood has not revealed this, the gates of hell, and this is what you need to do. But here he is after the resurrection. And what did he ask Peter to do? Feed sheep. Feed sheep. From the babies to the ones that are growing into maturity to the ones then that would be um, embracing that identity. Um... That's our calling. We're not birthing sheep. We're feeding sheep. And I pray that God would help us to fulfill that and uh, to do it under his anointing, through his direction, and to do it to the best of our ability. We looked this past Sunday at what Jesus said when he was entering the city, leading into this week of his sacrifice, and how that he wept there as he looked out over Jerusalem, and he lamented the fact that they, uh, those, those people were not fulfilling what God had called them to be and to do, 
<clears throat> and that uh, they were not entering into a partnership where they were engaged in the project of his peace. Um, so at the beginning of the week, Jesus speaks about that identity that the church should be. Uh, after his resurrection, when he met, met with Peter, he spoke about the obligation of feeding the sheep. And um, I, I believe that, of course, only the Spirit can guide people into the saving knowledge of the Lord, but there is a, there is a great dearth across the land and across the lands of the earth uh, in two ways. Do the people of God recognize what they're really called to do in partnering with God the Father and being agents of his peace? And secondly, is the church really being fed in a progressive state to where they are taken from babies to those that are learning the ways of God to then being mature ones that can reproduce that message and that identity um, we we uh, we recognize that in our world today Christianity means a lot of different things and um, it was a the most recent poll by the United Nations and the the Pew polling group was that across the world 31 percent of the people in the world, 2.4 billion people identify as recognizing that Jesus is God and uh, they acknowledge that he is that. 25% of the people in the world, 1.9 billion, follow Islam. The third religion is Hinduism. And um, no, actually the third was no religion. 15% of the world have no religious belief. Next is Hinduism at 14%, one, 1 billion people. And for those of you who are just enraptured by this, Judaism has less than 1% of the world, 14 million people. Now that's the United Nations saying this. That's uh, the Pew Research Group. Uh, it's interesting that in the United States itself, you know, we talked about 15% of the world have no religion at all, no desire to have religion. 30% of the people in the United States are that way. 30%. That's, that's almost one-third of our country has no religious, no, no faith in, in, a, in any divine entity, no matter what that would be. One other set of numbers was that um, in the United States, um, 250 million uh, will recognize Jesus as being God to whatever degree that is. The second most uh, populous in that regard is Brazil, our brothers and sisters in Brazil, 180 million. Third is, Yoali should be happy with this, Mexico. The fourth is Russia. I, I think it's interesting that these are, these are totals 
that are affirmed to whatever degree by the United Nations. So there's no politic there involved. There's no left or right leaning. In fact, if anything, the United States is the United Nations was probably not happy, many of them, to declare this. But my question is, what what does it mean to just say, I believe that Jesus is God? You know, the devils believe and tremble. What does it mean when, uh, within the last 20 years, uh, I, re- I remember when Mel Gibson produced that movie, The Passion of the Christ, whatever you think about it. Uh, at that time, in England, there were uh, reputable pollsters who were asking people about specific things um, regarding the life of Christ. And a large percentage, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was it was really up there of people could not say what the resurrection is. What is the resurrection? They didn't know. And this was a nation that apostolically was responsible for sending out missionaries and sending out the Bible and sending out um, those that would establish churches, would establish um, a fundamental type of belief in the Scripture and what was right and what was wrong. I'm not faulting anybody. What I'm saying here is that this is the condition, the state of our world. And um, as we are, as we as Christians, as saints, are partaking of communion today, and we celebrate this day, this, call it Good Friday, because to me it is the most essential day of the year, where we celebrate what Jesus did in sacrificing himself for us. Now, again, in a couple of days, we'll also celebrate the resurrection. Um, The resurrection is what really empowers the sacrifice. Uh, Because if Jesus had simply died in the horrific way that he died and there was no resurrection, then we would be distraught. But because of the resurrection, it completes the victory. And uh, we celebrate that too, but there would be no resurrection without the horrific death of our Lord and how that he went through the, the cross uh, as, a, as, a, as a gift of love for us. And there are so many things that we could talk about regarding the cross, um, just the sacrifice itself, the sacrifice itself. We've also enjoyed great in-depth studies about what the cross really is and what the meanings of it really are and how we are to carry our cross and establish his his paid-for victory and dominion throughout the earth. But today, I want us to talk from the book of John, uh, John chapter 19, and we're going to read verses 28 through um, 30. John 19, verses 28 through 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished and the scripture might be fulfilled, fulfilled and accomplished, same word, teleos, said, I thirst. 
Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it in his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head, and gave up the ghost. Now, what does this mean for us? Well, there were three times in this uh, crucifixion narrative that Jesus was offered sour wine, or bitter wine, vinegar, as it were. Uh, he was offered that. Um, and the first time was when the Roman soldiers offered this to him mixed with gall, mixed with wormwood or some would even say myrrh, and Jesus refused that. Now, supposedly, they did this as a courtesy to the person being sacrificed, if, if you can use those, those terms uh, together. There was no courteous way of, of crucifixion. Um, and it was said that perhaps that would numb the pain in some way. Um, I don't in any way believe that that was effective. Um, if you went to a hospital and you were observing people in pain, they, they don't say, hey, you know what, here, just a second, I'll run and get you some gall. I mean, we recognize from our study of what gall and wormwood is, and particularly uh, what that bitter sop was at the table of communion, that it had to do with um, lamenting, it had to do with either uh, being repentant or being embittered, uh, one thing or the other. And so, uh, as the soldiers were there um, dividing his garments, they offered this to him. Uh, he had already been brutally mistreated, and he rejected that. And as I said, there were three times when this type of, of uh, bitter bitter wine was offered, but let's let's talk just a bit about how this stuff was prepared, how that vinegar was prepared. You know, I, I for most of us in the Western world in America, if we need vinegar for something, we've got lots of different types. We've got apple cider vinegar, we've got white vinegar, we've got all kinds of things. You can just go down to the grocery store and um, I'm sure that even though a lot of the shelves are lacking things right now, you can find your pick of vinegar. And we just think, oh, yeah. Um, but really, I remember once we were in Bordeaux and we were staying with a family and in their pantry, not in their pants, but in their pantry, they had this container. And what they had done was they would pour wine that they uh, were not going to drink if, if they, um, of course, in France, it's, it's, a, it's, it's illegal to, to waste wine, just joking. But if they had the rest of a bottle and it had been used for a couple of days, and it was starting to sour, they'd pour it into that, into that receptacle. And I asked, what is this for? And they said, we're making vinegar. So the essence in the ancient world of vinegar was that you know, something that was a failed fellowship, something that was a, a failed 
uh, a rejected point of drinking and you kept it there in the central place of your house or your business or wherever you were, and uh, it would become embittered. So it really represented something that was either forgotten or not used or uh, had been there for a long time, fermenting. And that was the essence of what vinegar was, regardless of what its therapeutic value may or may not have been. So symbolically, <clears throat> for them to offer that at the very beginning from Rome, when his garments, his vesture was being torn and sold, really speaks to me of how the enemy comes against us, trying to ruin our sacrifice, our prophetic offering to the Lord. And um, the first thing he would try to do would be to say, well, you know, your, your mission in general, what you have felt you are called to be, um, look at the way that it is being abused, look at the way that it is being uh, neglected, look at the way that the enemy is tearing at it. Do you want to be bitter about that? Jesus would not accept it. The second time that they offered this to him was when he was hanging on the cross and people were mocking his supposed, in their eyes, kingship. If you're a king, why don't you... Uh, why don't you do something about it and exhibit your dominion and uh, be removed from the cross? And uh, he rejected that as well. And this was a, an individual, personal demonstration of what, um, of what you believe personally. You know, if, if your mission was attacked, now here your individual understanding of who you are is attacked. And Jesus would not receive that bitterness then either. And I think that the enemy has tried these tactics on the saints. You know, he, he tried to, to, to really uh, disparage what our mission is in the world. And he's also tried to disparage what you believe God has called you to be. And what, um, what you are in, in God, uh, what do you believe about that? Are you, have you become embittered with God? Because in the midst of your offering, your prophetic sacrifice for the, for the gospel, um, do you resent what has happened to you? Now, you, you know, you can, you can, face this even in the midst of blessing. I mean, you can, you can be showered with the blessings of the Lord. You lack nothing in the natural. But yet, in the depth of who you are, you can deal with this. You can grapple with this feeling. But Jesus would not receive that either. And then the third time was here in John 19, which we read. And um, I think that it's significant. Some things we need to look at. First of all, this was not the mixed with gall wine. This was just the sour wine that the, the, that the Roman soldiers had there. And they would, they would themselves partake of this. And when Jesus said, I thirst, 
after it was finished and after it was accomplished. They ran, they got a pole with hyssop. That's significant, with hyssop on it, raised it to the mouth of the Lord, and he received it. Now, let's talk about this. First of all, you see hyssop there? This should absolutely say to you at the time of the Passover, this is what happened when Israel was about to be launched into their point of deliverance from Egypt, into their point of victory over the firstborn of Egypt, and into their pathway to the promise. Because hyssop is what they used to strike the, the lentil and the posts. And uh, the sprinkling of the blood, as it were. And so that signifies this victory um, of going forth into the new. But why did Jesus accept it? It wasn't that he was saying, all right, you know, I, I went through this whole thing and I, enough is enough. I rejected bitterness at the beginning. I rejected bitterness in the middle. But now I just went through this and I can't believe how foul you people are. Look at this. It was at this point that he was very much like Moses at the at the rock the second time, or e e Elijah and uh, on the mountain. And what doest thou here? Um, he he had his opportunity to let them know before he ascended in heaven what he really thought of them. Why did he receive this? Well, okay, two things. First of all, the sacrifice was already done. It says it very clearly. And secondly, we in the church, we have an opportunity to come before the table of the Lord with the wine and the bread. And we should also have that bitter sop where we're saying Jesus has triumphed over this and we now receive this prophetic act of dipping the bread into the sop, that bitter sop, so that we can surrender in our own life what, um, what things we might become embittered by that would rob us of victory. Jesus said it had been accomplished when he knew that all things were finished. Then he partook of this. So if the blood was finished, if the body was finished, now he, after triumphing in that, was also saying, as we go forth into the new in hyssop, we must address the bitterness in our lives. I've triumphed over it, but now I'm partaking of it as a sign and as a testimony to you. But that's not all. In, in Psalm chapter 22, we find... The, a, a prophetic telling of Jesus' sacrifice. And look at what verse 13, Psalm 22, verse 13. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. Now hear this. Now hear this. And my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have encompassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. 
I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, and the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for you have heard me uh, from among the horns of the unicorns. This is this is very interesting to me. Um, the Lord is is here, and um, I believe that the reason what we said about this third time with bitterness is true, but also at this point, his tongue cleaved to his jaws. His strength was dried up. He was brought to the dust of death. I have, I have a feeling that this was a way before, right before Jesus was going to cry out, it is finished. His mouth as a human was dried. His tongue cleaved to his jaws. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in a position where you're, none of us were in this position, but where you're so dry and you're so thirsty that your throat is parched. It's very difficult for you to even make an expression. I've seen people who teach and, uh, you know, they're going at it for 25, 30 minutes and <clears throat> you see they have, they want to have water, not because they're trying to follow their health regimen, but it it helps them to be able to, to have clarity to speak. And Jesus partook of this and then almost immediately he cried out, it is finished. He declared it. He declared it. The same things that he had said that, um, that it had been accomplished and it was all finished. Then he shouted it. And he needed something to be a source of lubricant to open up his tongue so that he could say that. And what better thing, what better thing to have upon his lips and upon his tongue to be able to proclaim than a victory over bitterness. You see, dear ones, we're so grateful for the, for the myriad layers of what the sacrifice of Christ achieved, what it means for us, but for me, in this hour where there's darkness and strife throughout the earth in an unprecedented way, where we feel a trying of the enemy and of the world that would, would attempt to engender anger and bitterness within us, we can have all the authority. We say this about the communion table. We can have the, the bread, our identity in our body. We can have... Um, we can have the, uh, the victory of the blood of Jesus through cleansing and sprinkling. But if we allow that bitterness to come, and Jesus, the sinless Son of God, who was in all points tempted but yet never failed, if anyone had the opportunity to be bitter, it was him. We talk about how that the enemy of prophecy, the enemy of grace, is bitterness, biblically. Biblically, that's the case. And if you're going to go forth in your prophetic offering before the Lord, which the spirit of prophecy is, is uh, martyria, is the testimony, um, 
And, and if you're going to triumph in grace, you're, you're going to have to overcome bitterness. And that takes different forms in each of us. You can't just lay hands on somebody and say, be free. You have to deal with it. You have to process it. And here is Jesus, his last victory, his first victory, his middle victory, and his last victory were all over bitterness. And he, he, he accepted that part, that parch upon his parched lips, that hyssop-filled sour wine in order to go forth into the new, in order to signify the Passover victory, and in order to say that each of us must also acknowledge and triumph over bitterness. This is the third part of the table. You have the body and the blood. Here it is on the cross. And so I speak over each of us that we'll recognize the crucial role we as saints have been given to play by God in these days. We are to feed his sheep around the world. We are to be a people who are showing, as the Lord directs, the people of God, leading them into a biblical understanding of how to partner with God in peace, representing him in his divinely uh, apportioned identity. We, we weep over that not happening, and we must, while we have light, go forth and do this. But with all the other things, bearing the cross, uh, speaking about the sprinkling of the blood, being faithful to represent the kingdom, going forth into all the world, making disciples, feeding the sheep, with all those things, this sacrifice, first, Jesus and his body, what clothed his body, second, that kingship, that divine identity, that royal blood that flowed through him, and lastly, after it is finished, those things are there, we make sure that we can proclaim it is finished and we will not be bound. We triumph over bitterness. And now we come to the conclusion of this broadcast to our time of sharing communion together. I urge you to spend time with the Lord today in some way. Give thanks to him. But today we first take the bread and we recognize that the breaking of it represented the apportioned place of our service before God. We, we recognize that each of us are placed where God has called us to be. And we thank him that we are not bound by the way things have always been done. There's no leaven in this. But we go forward with a fresh batch of what God is calling us to do. And uh, the bread is communion with our Father. We come before him and only through him to discover what our role is, what our calling is, what our identity is. And through that fellowship and partnership, we live and have life. And we must never, never allow our relationship with God to be um, 
to lack. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for his body broken for us. And we partake of this in remembrance, knowing that we now are the body of Christ. Let us represent him and his sacrifice. Let us represent your will in our lives from this moment. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Let's partake together. Jesus also took the cup and he said, this cup is my blood shed for you. It's the New Testament in his blood. Um, the cup always represents accepting an assignment in the scripture. Uh, but that blood initially for us as Christians was a blood of cleansing. Though our sins were scarlet, he makes them as white as snow. Uh, the blood represents our adoption into the family of God. It represents the, the victorious triumph of the blood of Jesus in every way. But for us as believers, it represents, as believers, the blood of sprinkling, which prepares us, prepares the place, prepares the ministry, prepares the patterns. There are all many, many, biblical depictions of what that blood of sprinkling actually does. And it is vibrant. It is powerful. And we're so grateful for it. So we take this cup today and we say, Father, we're committed to your mission. We ask the Holy Spirit with that hyssop to sprinkle us. Each of us needs a touch in a, in a place where uh, it, it just subjectively we need. It may be different in many ways, from what our brother or sister uh, needs. But that's why it's a sprinkling. The Spirit directs this. We need to be invigorated. We need to be welcoming of His glory. We need to be aligned uh, with what the Father is wanting to do and welcoming His kingdom to come. Only the blood can empower this. And so we thank you, Father, for the myriad ways this cup represents the empowerment of our Lord, the cleansing blood, yes, but the, but the empowering blood. And we ask for a sprinkling upon who we are in you, who you want us to be. We ask for the sprinkling of the blood upon the place of our ministry, place of our service, the place of our planting. We, we ask the, for, the, for the sprinkling of the blood. The first place Jesus' blood was shed in ministry was in Gethsemane as an intercessor. Empower our intercession. Empower our intercession. The second place was when he was being mocked and scourged. Help us to stand in the midst of a world that doesn't understand and who many would, would oppose. And the, 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 the last place was when that blood was shed on the cross. Help us to take your cross and utilize it uh, in the way that you have called us to carry and to plant it. So, Father, thank you for this cup. Thank you for your blood, Jesus. We partake now in your wonderful name. And the last thing, of course, we've talked a lot about bitterness. 
we really need for the Spirit to cleanse us from bitterness. We don't want our prophetic walk or our walk of grace to be spoiled by bitterness. Yes, the enemy lives in bitterness. The, the prevailing current of the world is, I've been done wrong. There needs to be a reckoning. Let's everybody tell their story as to how they have been abused. Even if it's not true, say it anyway. There's such bitterness. There's such strife. And where strife is, there's every evil work. It is the preeminent force of darkness in this day. We ask you, Father, we surrender our bitterness to you as we go forth into the land. As we go forth into this new season, you, when you've done everything, when you've accomplished everything, yet you overcame bitterness in your triumph. We embrace that triumph today, and we thank you for it. Cleanse us from bitterness. We surrender our right, perceived right, to be bitter. And we ask you that you would affirm our placement and our identity under your mantle, your vesture, your clothing, your garments. We ask that we would be free from bitterness over what you've called us to be in representing your throne as individuals. And we ask that you would cause us as we go forth into the world saying the triumph of Jesus is complete, that we in that point of battle would not succumb to bitterness, but rather we would triumph and rejoice. We thank you for this, Father. We love you. And finally, I speak blessing over the saints. I speak blessing over this day. Help us to find you and to enjoy you and to love you on this day of all days. Thank you for your sacrifice. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us together today. Whenever you're hearing this, those of you hearing it live, bless this day in the Lord. Spend time with him. Celebrate. For those of you who are hearing it another time, the Lord is with you there too. Enjoy him and give thanks to him. And I pray that this time together has been a blessing to our Lord and to each of you. Until Sunday, when we rejoice in his resurrection, may God bless you and goodbye.